When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey out there, rockin' rollers, welcome to the 161st edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. the Wolf, and I will be joined, as always, by my partner in crime and co-host, Gary Action Jackson, from the East Coast of the United States of America. And 2023 was uh, an amazing year here for us on The Wolf, a lot going on on the show, a lot going on in the world, a lot going on in our lives. And we just want to say we appreciate you all for listening and sharing your passion for rock and roll with us. As we've said for a long time, these are conversations that we would be having together anyways. Just now we hit record. We share them with the world. We've met a lot of new friends and helped build a community of people who love rock and roll music, want to know all the details, want to hear the stories while they're still out there. And today in part two of our 2023 year in review We're looking back not only on the great rock and roll shows that we covered on the podcast, like seeing Metallica kick off their amazing No Repeat Weekend Tour in Amsterdam in April, and taking Jackson to see Iron Maiden for the first time, once in Amsterdam and then in Antwerp, and all the fun that ensued after the Antwerp show back at the hotel. And then the Wolf taking the Wolf Cub to see Kiss one last time. But the people who make the rock and roll are the ones we might need to be most grateful for. You know, the folks who can... Create a song out of thin air. The inspiration hits them and they can make that rock and roll that we love. We're fortunate to have eight different artists and legends on the show this year. Some people who we've admired since we were very young. Some people we just got to know this year but are now so psyched to know and to know more about their music. Talking legends like Terry Reed and Jim McCarty of the Yardbirds. And finally track down Steve Kilby of the church who I'd loved since high school. But also hear from some up-and-coming acts like Jimmy Madden from the UK. And get to know some folks who are out there killing it every day. Like Scott Holiday of the Rival Sons put out two great albums this year. And Oliver Wakeman, who's so much fun to talk to. Most of our guests are so much older than we are, but Oliver's about our age. And we just had a great conversation with him on and off the record. And so we're going to share those stories here with you right now. First, just a little bit of business, though. As usual, we always like to mention we are proud members of the Pantheon Podcast Network of Shows, a family of about 100 different shows, all music-related, not all rock and roll. There really is something in there for everyone. Check them out at PantheonPodcast.com or follow at Pantheon Pods. And thanks so much to our sponsor, RareVinyl.com who helps bring resources to our show and helps record collectors and music lovers around the world get access to their over a quarter of a million items in stock, whether it's LPs or posters or CDs, singles, tour programs, ticket stubs, whatever you're looking for, they might just have it. And if you use the code UGLY, they give you 10% off. And they ship all around the world. And during the holiday season, we saw a huge uptake in orders. 
and we really, really appreciate that. It does help the show in a big way, and it just helps boost your record collection and gives you access to an amazing company that's been doing this for 40 years, has been connecting record collectors and music lovers with treasures for about 40 years. So do visit rarevinyl.com, use code UGLY, save yourself 10%. It's a real privilege to do this show and be able to hear music before it hits the streets and be able to see movies like King Crimson at 50 by Toby Amys, who was an amazing guest of ours. It's great to find that these folks love music the same way we do, and most of them love to talk about it too. So let's do our last show of 2023. It's 2023 in review part two, talking to the artists, legends, and concerts that we covered right here on The Wolf. doing this over three years now jackson and man it's cool the people we get to talk to now yeah i it was one of those you kind of had your fingers crossed like i don't know what this was going to be but yeah to think about the people that we have gotten to talk to it's it's exciting and just to get to kind of know them not personally but for a few minutes is, right. is really is really cool i mean we've got questions i mean for some of these people we would have had questions in the dorm room 30 years ago <laughs> And some of those we could get answered by stuff like Wikipedia now, but it's just cool to be able to take a little time to, you know, sometimes it's a hero uh, Mm. or a legend. Sometimes it's someone you've just learned about, but hey, they're a musician who's out there putting something new into the world who has an appreciation of music like we do. It's just, they could take that appreciation and turn it into something new and cool, you know? So whether you're in the rock and roll hall of fame or you're a solo act, just trying to make it in the world here, uh, We've really enjoyed who we got to talk to this year. Yeah, the plus for them is they have a, a appreciation and talent where we do not. No, just just appreciation. <laughs> right. <laughs> like professional appreciators like John Cusack in uh, High Fidelity. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not that hardcore, but that's fine. Which should have been, look, I mean, it was written by an English author and it should have been, you know, it should have taken place in London instead of Mm -hmm. John adapting it for Chicago. And then, I mean, if it came out at the same time, although he is Scottish, I think you and McGregor would have done a great job of that role. Oh, yeah. Um, Later, it would have been, James McAvoy would have been excellent in it as well. Mm -hmm. But, you know, and just the whole thing about taking the train, taking the bus, which people do in Chicago all the time, but it's it's more of an English and certainly a London thing than it is an American thing overall. Mm Mm-hmm. But anyway, we, we digress. I want to tell everybody what our top 10 shows are, but I'm going to save that for the end. I think I want to go and talk about the eight artists that we had on the show. Okay. And then we'll talk about the concert reviews that we did, which have gotten us a lot of tension. Okay. So artists first, then concerts. Let's go. That's right. And first up, back in March, March when we were on fire, we had a great March and we took a bit of a, I won't call it a risk, but a stroll down a path that we weren't super familiar with to go over Marillion's script for a jester's tears. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. It's so early. I can't even remember the name of the damn album. <laughs> But we had an English artist, a young man named Jimmy Madden, mm-hmm. who's out there putting out new albums and touring and actually sounds like he's doing pretty well here in America as far as selling his tunes go, which is great. But it was great to have an Englishman talking about Marillion because like you've said on previous shows here, didn't really know Marillion, right? I mean, as Americans, we didn't even really know the name. We never heard them on the radio growing up. We never <laughs> saw them on MTV. And as we've said many times before, Prague is a very English subgenre. 
And so Marillion may be huge over there, but not so much over here. So not only was it good to get to know this album that is hailed by many as one of their best, if not their best, it was great to hear an Englishman's perspective and someone who used that influence in making their own music. Yeah, we definitely needed help on that one. Hadn't heard them before. And to hear it from somebody who kind of grew up with it, I think he said it was his dad who would play it on the hi-fi. He got an appreciation for it and then went on to become a musician. So that was kind of a twofer, getting to know him a little bit, hearing about his recording process and how he makes music and just a cool dude to talk to and learning about a band who was pretty big. I mean, the only thing I'd ever heard of Merlin was the name. So that was a that was a good show. I like that. Yeah, it was fun. And we actually actually got some feedback from our listeners to say, hey, you know what? Thanks for challenging us. It's easy to do a Van Halen yeah. <laughs> album that all of us know front to back and by heart, mm-hmm. but it was cool to learn something new and explore something that maybe they weren't. Right. It's like, it was like, thanks for challenging us. I'm like, well, you mm-hmm. know, we've got to challenge ourselves. That's all there is to it. We can't just say, we're going to listen to everything we know and that's it because we want to know everything. We just don't have the brain capacity to stuff it all in there. <laughs> Don't have the hours of the day. Yeah. And then, I mean, you're not going to like everything, but right. at least you at least need to experience it to say, hey, I listened to it. I've looked at it. I gave it a chance. Maybe I didn't love it, but I can I can speak semi-intelligently about it now. Yeah. And I would say people should give Marillion a shot. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Especially you know? if you like those, especially if you like Genesis, if you like the the yes stuff from, it's. A, I think it's a little more, at least that record was a little more, I don't want to say pop, but it had, it had singles on it. But I think if you if you like that kind of music, you should definitely give those guys a shot. Yeah, definitely. You know, and keep your mind open. Like I, especially like when we were in college, like if it was new, I probably automatically didn't like it because mm. people our age are idiots, and <laughs> you know, I'd rather just listen to seventies rock. There's so much of it to go back and explore. But at least, you know, now I could say if I don't like it, I don't like it for a reason, not just because right. you know, uh, but I just don't Sucks. like that. Okay, yeah. great review. Yeah. Thanks for diving in there. Yeah. <laughs> Way to give you your in-depth knowledge there, yeah. But then next was in May. I call it one of the greatest opportunities that we've had on the show to get to know a newer band. Because mm-hmm. let's face it, bud. I mean, you know, if we're reviewing an album that's having its 30th anniversary, that's one of the newest albums we're going to review on this show. Right. right. Most of them are 40 or 50 years old or something like that. Mm-hmm. So when we had the opportunity to interview Scott Holiday for Rival Sons, the guitar player and co-songwriter, I'm like, well, you know what? That's cool. I don't know them that well, but I know the name. They're always on tour. They're always opening for big bands if they're not doing their own headlining tour. They play a lot of festivals, and I know that they're hard rock. I mean, I think mm-hmm. they opened for Black Sabbath for their entire farewell tour, like 13 months opening for Sabbath, open for Van Halen, open for Kiss, open for all these folks. So I'm like, all right, well, let's have him on. Oh, he's got a new album coming out? Cool. All right, fine. You know, we what I think one of the coolest things about being able to do the show is people do send us stuff like new documentaries and new albums before they come out. We get them before mm-hmm. the general public do, and that's awesome. But not everything always jibes. Like, okay, well, that's... I'm sure it's fantastic Finnish death metal, but that's not really <laughs> our thing here, you know? Yeah. But when their publicist sent me Dark Fighter, I was like, oh man, this album kicks ass. We get to talk to the guy who wrote this? Hell yeah, bring him on, you know? And 
so glad that we did. Yeah, I kind of felt a little bit ashamed of myself there when we got this record because I should have been listening to it before. I should have been very familiar with uh, Rival Sons. Fantastic album, great guy, and you're right. We, we got to talk to Carl Palmer, I think it was last year, about the Asia in Asia, and that was a great conversation. But that was a long time ago. So he was yeah. just memories. Now we get to talk to a guy who he's, yeah, he's out there doing it now. It's new. It's fresh. Since that time, they've got another record out. But yeah, great guy to talk to. And I think that for 2024, we definitely have to make it our mission to see them play live somewhere. Absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, you know, I, I got to see do a few songs at the Louder Than Life Festival here in Louisville, but that's like, you know, they're, they're down low on a festival. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, they, they mm-hmm. play like five or six songs I'm like, well, you know, it's not, that's not a whole set, man. So right. I gotta, I gotta see them. There's no doubt about it. But no, their their album Dark Fighter was so good, and then they had these cool videos too. And as mm-hmm. children of the MTV generation, it's like most of the time these days people overlook the videos or they do some kind of well. There's nowhere to play them. I mean, we're well. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So there is no MTV. Yeah. <laughs> there isn't enough, and 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 that was always that's kind of one of the pillars of the show too. Is it, it always added more to the video i mean Mm -hmm. to the song to watch the video so yeah so to see their creative idea for this because i think they all go together right it's like a it's a well there's a common theme in there no it's yeah i mean i would say it's a trilogy yeah Mm -hmm. you know but uh the first single nobody wants to die kind of had this tarantino-esque kind of theme mm-hmm. to it where jay the lead singer is kind of the the preacher who he kind of screwed over his gang he wasn't really a preacher but he kind of screwed over <laughs> his gang and you know then we had the fuzz lord and mofo and you know miley they're just coming after him they're trying to track him down and they're running from the cops and it's fun it's like an adventure and then you know like rapture and bird in the hand those kind of tell the rest of the story in reverse order so mm-hmm. i'm like these guys are great plus scott is cool he yeah. loves rock and roll he loves that 70s rock that we love he is mr fuzzlord but he's also bringing some style to it unlike those grunge characters we had to deal with (laughs) in the 90s when we were living together who looked like they were homeless he's got those bespoke suits that he wears on stage Mm. he's got the cool raleigh fingers kind of mustache he's always got his shades on and i'm like that's a rock and roll star right there you know that's that's the real deal and then yeah they made lightbringer i mean i guess they were working on this stuff during covid and mm-hmm. they put enough together to do two albums in one year. So Dark Fighter and Lightbringer, if you don't know them, check them out, pick them up for the holidays. Yeah. Love these guys. And yeah, I mean, look, it's like their eighth and ninth album. It, they're new, but they're not that new. They've been around <laughs> 15 years and they've been working hard, cranking out tunes and touring all over the world. So, mm-hmm. I mean, if you're going to support, I mean, we always complain they don't make new rock and roll anymore. There's no new bands anymore. Well, they are. They just don't get the support that they used to from the record companies, from radio, and from stuff like MTV. But rock fans need to know Rival Sons, and I'm so glad that we had Scott on. Yeah, and I, hopefully, fingers crossed, we can get him back on to talk about uh, Lightbringer and maybe even get Jay on, too. Yeah, and I hear Jay likes uh, his whiskey, so I hear I mean, kind of in whiskey country around here. Maybe we can bring yes. him down and uh, you know give him some tastes. <laughs> Hey, this is Scott Holiday from the Rebel Sons. You're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London. 
Oh, and then another opportunity came up to interview a legend, a true legend of rock and roll, and that's Terry Reed. Mm. And I mean, for those of you who don't know Terry Reed, I mean, huge, huge in the 60s, really as a teenager, but he opened for the Stones in the 60s and Cream and Jethro Tull and Fleetwood Mac. And of course, the very famous story was that he was offered the lead singer gig in Led Zeppelin mm-hmm. by Jimmy Page, to which he said, nah, I kind of got my own thing going, but you should check out my buddy Robert Plant and the rest is history. But then in the 70s, he made some great albums and he's kind of continued to go to this day. And he's hooked up with some guys in New Jersey of all places <laughs> called the Cosmic American Derelicts. And they've, uh, they're kind of main guy, George, I call him George K. I think his full name is Capitanellis. But it's a lot easier to say George Yeah, it's a mouthful. You know, the the two of them came on to talk about their new album, Bergen Field Blues, which, again, we got to hear before anyone else did, you know. And just listen to Terry tell his stories and then having George kind of jump in with his stories about coming up in New Jersey and playing Mm -hmm. New York City and the dichotomy of, you know, hearing this legend talk about doing stuff in England in the 60s and coming to America wide-eyed versus this Jersey guy who's hilarious and (laughs) has has been keeping this uh, Cosmic American Derelicts going for 25 years and collaborating with a lot of people on his own. It's just, it's cool to see how they found each other and now they they don't just record and tour together, but they hang out like Terry comes and stays with George and it's, it was, it was just cool. Terry's a legend, got to know George, but the two of them together, the dichotomy I thought was made for a fun interview. Well, and I think that's part of the thing too, that we talk about people that have no connection to each other. I mean, they're born in different countries. different generations even yet they can come together over their love of music and it was yeah it was two guys just hanging out on a couch talking back and forth i was a little disappointed because while we were talking to him terry was messing with that guitar he was either restringing it i think or tuning it was oh is he gonna is he gonna play us something real quick he didn't but it was that it was that moment for a second yeah just to hear his stories and yeah wasn't there a story about he i don't i don't remember if we talked about this on the episode but he was playing a gig and Chuck Berry was there mm. and Chuck Berry. Hey man. Hey, yeah, how's it going? What, what kind of amp is that? I like that amp. And his Terry's friends were like, do not let him use that. You're never going to get it back. <laughs> oh, but it's Chuck Berry, man. And of course, Chuck Berry played with it for his set and he never saw it again. And so on one, on one hand, you're mad because you lost an amp. But on the other hand, it's like, I guess you can say you gave Chuck Berry an amp. That's right. a cool story. Or Chuck Berry yeah. swiped my amp. Yeah, that's a pretty good story. <laughs> but yeah, I think he he was at Madison Square Garden when he was like 17 years old. And that's uh that's Yeah, opening for Cream or something yeah. like that. Yeah, just it's crazy to hear that. Like, yeah, I was not anywhere even close to being a professional musician at 17, much less in a different country, much less opening for a giant band. Exactly. Crazy. And then real part of the tradition of English greatness because they start early over there. It's like in America, Mm. they want you to go to school and all that. In England, like if you can do something as a teenager, go do it professionally as quick as you can. Yeah. Dude, we could probably talk to you for hours and hours and hours on end because I'm sure he's got story after story after story and just a really, really cool friendship that the two of them had also. Yeah. I'm George Capitanellis. This is my good brother, Terry Reed. Right. We're in, you're listening to the ugly American werewolf. In London. In London.
Right. All right. Well, we'll move on from there. Mm-hmm. And look, being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I know for those who get in, it's an honor. And for a lot who don't, or people who think should be in and they keep not getting in, a lot of them kind of tend to blow it off. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. really mean anything. And it doesn't. It's very hard to score art. I mean, it's yeah. easy to score, you know, sports. It's like, okay, well, you have more touchdown passes than anybody else. You go in the Hall of Fame. You, you won four Super Bowls. You go in the Hall of Fame. It's different when you're talking about art and what appeals to some people don't to others. And if the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame were based in England, it would have a very different makeup than it currently does. That said, it's always been our endeavor to get Rock and Roll Hall of Famers on the show. And in 2022, we got Steve Hackett of Genesis on the show. Mm-hmm. And this year, we once again had another member of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame on. That's Jim McCarty of the Yardbirds. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, sitting in our dorm room 30 years ago, if someone told me, hey, you two would have a radio show and you'd have a member of the Yardbirds on it one day, we'd have lost our minds. Yes. Especially thinking back at, at, when we got the the invite to do that, I was thinking about when we got our hands on that Jeff Beck box set. Um, I don't remember what the name of it was, but it was cool. It was all black. And yeah, just listening to those songs, it, it kind of getting to know the Yardbirds a little bit better through that. But yeah, getting to talk to him, it's kind of like that that direct connection to those bands that we love from the 60s. That was it was a cool it was a cool guy. He had he had a cool story about his, you know, kind of his journey through life and where it's taken him and just the different things that he got to do that was awesome man it was killer i mean you know and he was happy to talk about eric Mm -hmm. he was happy to talk about jeff and jimmy and keith ralph and like all these amazing folks who he'd worked with over the years and you know was talking about his his new single you know that he had out and you know his album that came out a few years back walking in the wild land and talking about his uh his wife who passed away and how he'd become more spiritual and mm-hmm. and trying to uh communicate with her in the afterlife and stuff like that so just a great very nice man and i, I mean it was an honor honest to god to have mm-hmm. him on the show his new single breath of the wind was great it came out in september and so you guys should check it out and you can download it pretty much everywhere but honestly most people know the Yardbirds. They know them yeah. for all their guitar players coming in and mm-hmm. out. But but the band was tight. I mean, going from like a blues act to more of a psychedelic pop act, you couldn't do that if there wasn't a lot of talent in the band. And then if you have a chance to check out like Renaissance, which is a band he was in with Keith after the Yardbirds, mm-hmm. which is a little proggy, I, I think you'd like that as well. Yeah. And unfortunately, the Yardbirds, they, I think they probably don't get the attention they, they deserve because they did not continue on as a band into the 70s and 80s like the Stones. But yeah, definitely go back, check them out. You will not be disappointed. Nah, and he's a, he was a super guy, just so glad to talk to him. But having a member of the Yardbirds on, dream come true for decades. Mm-hmm. Hi, this is Jim McCarthy of the Yardbirds, and you're listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. But this next guest may not have been a dream come true for you, but for me was a very big deal. May have actually even been the biggest deal of the year. Mm-hmm. Because as I said on the show before, in the late 80s there, as I was getting into high school and stuff, I still liked hard rock. But I started to find that the pop stuff and the stuff that they play on MTV wasn't always going to be for me it wasn't always going to be timeless it was just going to be pop of the moment right so i had to go out and find music that was different that wasn't from the normal quote-unquote channels Mm. and i started exploring like college music and alternative rock music and thanks to 120 minutes on mtv i started to find some bands that didn't show up in the top 40 charts it didn't show up you know on the kind of main run of mtv and on rock radio stations and one of those bands that i got really into was the church from australia Mm -hmm. of course they had a pretty big hit with under the milky way back in 88 and their album starfish which contained under the milky way and reptile and antenna and north and south and east and west produced by my friend and yours keith richard's buddy Ah, uh, Wadi Waddell. Wadi Waddell. And yes, mm-hmm. it, you know, it was great. And so even though they that was kind of their high point as far as sales go in the U.S., I followed them for years. And they've made like, I don't know, 35, 36. Listen to the show. Even Steve doesn't know how many albums they made <laughs> because they, you know, are released in different territories and then mm. some aren't or, and some are greatest hits, but then some are whatever. But I have like more than 20 of them. Mm. So I've been trying to chase down Steve Gilby for a while. And finally, they made this new album, The Hypnogog, and they had a couple different tours of the U.S. on it. And so we finally tracked him down and he did not disappoint. He is quite the character. 
Well, I knew how big of a deal this was to you. I mean, I, I'm a fan of the music, not anywhere close to like you were. So I knew this was a big deal. And then you mentioned something about how I think you'd met him one time at a meet and greet. And right. he could he can be he comes off as I believe you use the word Kurt in your aloof uh, aloof aloof okay yeah and so i'm thinking uh oh like i don't want to i don't want to have this guy just you know hey so how do you like the new record it's fine so <laughs> i was a little nervous could not have been a nicer guy it was a great conversation just a, a guy who's been in the business for a million years doesn't need to be there anymore but still wants to be out there still wants to write new music and i got to go see them in jacksonville and yeah, they played the hits, but I, I was really there to see the new stuff. It's a really good album. I really enjoy listening to that. And the the way that they, he kind of, the, the hypnagogue is, is a story. Yes. All of the tracks go together. So when he's on stage, they play a couple and then they'll go into the back catalog and then he kind of it gets in and says, okay, now we're going back to the story and we're at this point in it now. And it was it was a great night cool guy and uh, the thing that i was most excited about was how excited he was when we pitched maybe coming back to talk about his concert memories yeah no doubt about it and yeah like you i got to see him live up near cincinnati mm -hmm. two and a half hours at uh -huh. 70 almost years old yeah. it's pretty impressive but yeah but two hours plus that's uh that's a mighty feat and and mine was like a I don't know yours was like a Friday night or something yeah I don't even really remember yeah I think it, it was, was a it was Friday close night, to the yeah. weekend mine was mm -hmm. like a Tuesday so it was like it was a school night it, but everybody everybody showed up they put on a great show and I, I was I was definitely impressed with both him and the band yeah no I mean the church are great and his his stage banter is kind of fun I mean yes sometimes he's explaining the story of the hypnagogue which you you kind of need to get into to better understand what mm -hmm. they're singing about but when he's talking about unguard moments like okay here's an old one I don't really want to play it but I'm playing it for you so here it comes you know it's just funny is, is and the that, story he told is that what he said. When it was something it. along those lines. Okay. Yeah. When he played it for for in Jacksonville, he said, Here's a song that you love and I hate. Mm. And he, then they went into it. So I'm not gonna say how much I hate <laughs> and how I just play it for your sake. Seriously, I'm just playing it for your sake. Because you you ask for it. Why did you write so without further ado, I don't want to cloud your preconceptions by any negative talk about my own boring old song. Uh, I just want you to enjoy it without any preconceptions. So here we go. Without further ado, this is it. Stand by. That's so funny. And the thing is, it wasn't a big hit in America. It was huge in Australia, mm -hmm. but it wasn't it, that big a hit so. over here. Yeah, because the story he told <laughs> about being accosted backstage while he's changing out of his stage clothes but, is hilarious. It's about the best story we've ever had on the show. Yeah, and, and just that matter of fact where, you know, people are kicking down the door to get him to go back out there because I I was, you know, they had a implied promise that he was going to play that song. And, and that was a good kind of a side part of the conversation, too. Like, what what does he owe you as an artist to a mm -hmm. to a fan? What does he owe you? And yes, it was very, it, I mean, I'm sure it's a funny story now and we had a good time talking to him, but in the moment, uh, you don't know who these people are, what they want and why they're so upset. I know you're sitting there in your underwear. Talk about an unguarded <laughs> moment, man. Oh my God. <laughs> but it's like, if you've seen Eurovision, <laughs> when the guy comes to Will Ferrell, he's like, play ya ya ding dong. Yeah. That's play ya. Like that's exactly yeah. what it was. <laughs> <laughs> Get back in the 
right now and play Ya Ya Ding Dong. No, we are done for tonight. You have to play it. Why do I have to play it? I only want to hear Ya Ya Ding Dong. Uh, well, all the best to Steve. And hey, keep making that music, man. We'll keep checking it out. Now, our next guest was very special. So cool. Oliver Wakeman, mm. who obviously is a brilliant keyboard player. Most people know his father better, Rick, grumpy old Rick Wakeman, mm. who was in Yes in the 70s and 90s. But I did see Oliver play with Yes mm. in the, it was 2011, I think it was. And it was kind of during a time when Asia had been opening for Yes. So Steve Howe was kind of doing double duty mm. in both Asia and Yes. And what's cool about Oliver, besides the fact that he's a brilliant musician, is that he's basically our age. Most of the people we have on who are musicians are much older than us, like Steve Kilby, like Terry Reed, like Jim McCarty. Mm. But Oliver's like age-wise a contemporary of ours. So right. he grew up a fan of Yes music. It's just he had a little more access to it than we did. <laughs> And I know we had him on to talk about John Wetton and the brilliant box set and Extraordinary Life, which I'm pretty confident Santa's going to bring me this year. But we also got to talk to him about his time in Yes and talking with Chris, but uh, Chris Squire and and Mm. maybe a little bit about his dad. But just the way he revealed how John Wetton had befriended him was so cool. And Mm. like, so because he's he's like us, he's like grow up kind of worshiping this guy. But now you're kind of his peer. You're working together. You're touring together. And the guy didn't say, okay, yeah, that's Rick's kid. I used to work with his dad, you know, whatever. I'm going to stick to my guys. No, he went out of his way to befriend him and check him out and make sure he was cool. And I just, the way Oliver told the story was fantastic. And and the fact too, that we had him officially, what, for, was it a half an hour? Or was it a whole hour? It was, no, he, it, we, we booked him. His publicist was clear. You get 30 minutes. Okay. So we had him for 30 minutes trying to respect his time. But when he says to us, Hey, are we okay going over? Yeah. We, I mean, if you want to still be talking, we can do that. No problem. It's a great conversation. I thought it was really cool that he he has no connection professionally with that John Wetton box set, but yet he wanted to come on and talk about it and promote it and talk about his relationship with John. And you're right. They genuinely seem like they were friends. It seemed like John really took an interest in him as a person. You know, he said he gave him some career advice, um, was very kind to him during the whole you know, when he was not a member of Yes. So it was it was great to hear that story. As we've said a million times and we'll say it a million times more, we love John Wetton. And to hear a story about what a great guy or hear another story about what a great guy he was, it was that was that was a special conversation. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, specifically, they added some dates where they had to go play in Mexico. So they extended Oliver's time. And yes, Mm -hmm. but Oliver was going to be replaced by Jeff Towns because they're going to kind of bring back the drama lineup because they're going to have Trevor come back for a bit and do some stuff. And so that's an awkward situation because Jeff's in Asia and he's opening. And in a month, Jeff's going to take your job and so mm-hmm. john who is beholden to jeff i mean they are songwriting partners you know in asia and icon for decades it'd be easier to send them to say all right kid well you had your time i'm i'm back yeah. in my boy here who you know we wrote heat of the moment together no he went over hey man are you okay you know that's yeah. a top man you know that's right. a real friend right yeah just another example of, of what a great guy he was and uh oliver too was a uh somebody who we pitched the idea of the first concert memories and oh yeah i'd love to talk about that so hopefully we can get back him back on as well yeah because he was he was fun i mean look he was a fan like us he's like look i've got the asia dragon poster you know framed mm-hmm. in my house i'm like oh yeah you mean this one i showed it to mine you know <laughs> that i bought from roger dean in the office you know and we were booked for half an hour he gave us an hour and a half 
mm-hmm. at like from like nine to ten thirty at night. Yeah. You know, we, yeah. At, at some point we were just talking about music and talk about stuff that we loved as people of the same generation. And then the fact that he got to play Heat of the Moment live with John at one point, right. it, it's the one time they got to perform together. They shared stages, but it was Asia first and then yes mm-hmm. later. Whereas, you know, this was one time with his band that John actually jumped up and played some songs with him. Honestly, I was on cloud nine after that interview. I was like, gosh, this is fun, man. And and when he casually mentions the fact that he's got, oh yeah, I've got every poster from every every tour every, that yes every did. Every t-shirt from yeah, Yes. Every t-shirt. And, yeah, they're in a Anderson, Bruford, Wakeman, and yeah. Howe. I'm like, oh, no Wait, way, what? dude. <laughs> <laughs> so that was cool because he played in the band. Yes, he's Rick's son, but he seems like he was really genuinely a fan of the band and loved all those guys and the music. And yeah, I would love to see his uh, personal collection of that stuff. Absolutely. Hi, this is Oliver Whiteman, and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. Now, here's a little segue for you. Mm-hmm. He told a great story about when he was leaving his dad's place on the Isle of Man, going back to London uh, yes. with his mom, and Rick gave him a tape. He's like, hey, now, listen to this. I love this, and I want you to love it as well. And it was King Crimson's In the Court of the Crimson King. Mm-hmm. And our final artist that we had on the show this year was Toby Amy's, the director of a killer documentary in the court of the Crimson King, King Crimson at 50. Easy for me to say. <laughs> but besides the fact that it's cool that I had been seeing advertisements about this thing for mm. years. I remember living in England and seeing, you know, like the trailers or whatever. I must have seen it three or four years ago. It's like, oh God, when can I see this? I've got to see this because you know, I love a good rock and roll band documentary and it's just god it's never coming out when are we gonna see it when we finally said hey we've got an opportunity for you to see it and then maybe have some of the band members on or perhaps the director i'm like give me the director because that's his medium mm-hmm. and toby couldn't have been cooler i mean a guy who worked on mtv in america and in europe was on the radio with jimmy kimmel worked at radio stations helped start trl and then became a director and came into this well, I don't know how you describe Robert Fripp. <laughs> Mercurial? Uh, yeah. Okay. Maybe. Mm-hmm. That's, that's at mm-hmm. least one way. Right. Prickly. Mm-hmm. Standoffish. Incredibly talented. Perfectionist. Definitely a perfectionist. Definitely, definitely someone who is never satisfied with what, with how he can play or what he can play, always wanting to get better. The movie, I it took a pretty hard left turn for me. I thought it was going to be about the making of the record and it kind of its impact. And it was about the band, mostly the most current iteration of it. Right. It had a little bit about a couple of past members, but yeah, fascinating, fascinating movie had some not only about Fripp but the other guys in the band too you know who they were how they got there their love of playing music but also playing the King Crimson music and they get into the the relationship between the fans and the band right and it's 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 even if you even if you don't are really super familiar with King Crimson you can watch this movie and be entertained for sure great job Yeah. yeah and then not only does it have all the current members of the band but any surviving past members of the band mm-hmm. he got interviews with them whether it's Eater mcdonald or it's bill bruford or it's adrian Ballou, who mm-hmm. provides some interesting insight it wasn't always hunky dory and i guess since he's left there may be i don't know if bitterness is the right word but a little strife let's call it mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. always makes for <laughs> entertaining 
TV or movie, however you want to look at it. But Toby's uh, a talented guy. His other movie, The Man Whose Mind Exploded, is an interesting character study as well. And I think this he's found his, after bouncing around and doing different things in music, I think he may have really found his true calling. Yeah. I can't imagine that was an easy thing to make only because you could have made Fripp the bad guy very, very easily. Yeah. And just, you know, that's the deal. But there, there's a lot more to it than just that. And I think he really kind of gets into the personality of everyone and how it works together to make the band still run today. And the guy's insane, Robert Fripp. I mean, he still practices five hours a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Five hours every day. Do you think Ace Frehley, he's practiced five hours this year? Uh, I don't think he has. Yeah, probably not. But Fripp is five hours every single day, and he mixes up the set list every night. They got 50 years plus of music to, to choose from. It's not like, okay, here's the set list for this tour. No, every night it's different. It's whatever he decides they're going to play that night. See, now I'm thinking of, I'm imagining uh, Robert Fripp yelling at Ace Frehley on the stage. Can you even play the guitar? I'll take it easy, Curly. I'll get there. Don't worry about it. And <laughs> what are you worrying about, man? Yeah. I've been playing guitar my whole life. <laughs> Hi, this is Toby Ames, the director of the rock and roll documentary In the Court of the Crimson King, King Crimson at 50. And you are listening to the ugly American werewolf in London. Uh, but but those were our guests, the the artists and legends that we got to interview this year, and so proud to have them on. It really was our honor and our pleasure, and got to make some new friends and and learn about some new music. I mean, honestly, we we do it to keep rock and roll alive, but we do it because we want to hear these stories, mm-hmm. right? We don't have stories of our own other than I went to the show and it was great, and then afterwards we got loaded, you know, but. <laughs> To hear it from the people who make it, uh, we want to capture this. We want to get as much of that on the record as we can. Yeah, and, and I'm kind of thinking about that now, too. Like, they they do it to make money, right? That, sure. That's how you support yourself, and it's a job. But most people don't have a reverence for their job like this. And I think that's the really cool part is the people that we talk to, they enjoy doing it. But I think they're, first and foremost, they're fans. And that comes through in, in their passion for what they do. Yeah, you know, and... Well, Scott Holliday and Oliver Wakeman and Jimmy Madden, they're going to be around for a while here. At least we hope so. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, Terry's in his mid-70s. Jim McCarty's 80 years old. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Steve Kilby even said, look, I and he's he's getting really close to 70s. Like, I can't imagine being like in my mid-70s still doing this, you know, so... Mm-hmm let's let's capture all this while we can you know and and get it on the record and so that the future generations will come to understand why we love this music and what motivated them to make it Mm. although with terry mccarty i i think he could probably still take me terry mccarty terry jim uh now now i'm terry reed i'm sorry wow i got (laughs) whoa that was a Hey, now. It's early yeah, on the East Coast it, here, it folks. It really is. We got to get the brain warmed up this morning. Hey, now. Who could still take you? Terry Reed. He could still take you? I think so. I think he's he's one of those guys that, you know, he oh, look, at there's an older gentleman over there. And then all of a sudden, he's wailing you if you talk to him the wrong way or something. He looks like somebody who's, uh, he's a, a good guy, but I wouldn't mess with him. 
Yeah, it's probably this. I mean, Jim McCarty couldn't be nicer, but those drummers have strength. They got those hand speed that, that we don't. You say mm-hmm. something cross, he could pop you really and just catch you real fast. But well, that, I guess. That, that's the thing, too, is, you know, you figure that they it, it, there are bands that, you know, we like we reviewed Leonard Skinner and they were always looking for a fight. But you, it, 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 there are people that are known for that. But you got to figure if you played rock and roll, especially back then, you couldn't you, if you were a a softer, gentler spirit, you probably weren't going to make it. Yeah, but I mean, Charlie Watts, sweet man, gentle uh-huh. guy. Mm-hmm. But if Mick Until... pissed him off, yeah, and he could clock him. He's got faster <laughs> hands than Mick does. <laughs> so, yeah, don't mess with the drummers, man. Their Correct. hands are faster than you, and they're strong. Hi, this is Steve Kilby from The Church, and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. All right. Well, those are our legends and guests. Now let's get to our concert reviews, which were big for us. Epic shows. And they did very well for us as far as performance and downloads go. But first, I want to talk about a couple of shows that we didn't do concert reviews for. We did mention the church that we both went to in separate cities. Mm -hmm. Great show. But having Steve Kilby on the interview, I think that kind of covered it. I took my daughter to some softer rock shows to indoctrinate her into rock and roll, to see bands that she likes, but I didn't think they necessarily met the criteria for doing a review on the show. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about Peter Frampton and Chicago and America. And America, the guys in America had a great line. It's like, we we almost called the tour music from the 70s played by guys in their 70s. (laughs) (laughs) which is it could be for like all those bands right and they were all fun they were all good in their own way it's just i didn't think it kind of met the criteria uh, for this show but there was one that i wish had been a little bit bigger and we would have done it on the show and that's when i saw noel gallagher and his high flying birds in cincinnati Mm, okay because in england they'll play arenas Mm mm-hmm And they'll headline, obviously. And over here, they were doing a co-headline tour with Garbage. And so sometimes they open and sometimes Garbage opens. Mm -hmm. And because it was in Cincinnati, it was actually hoping that Noel would open so I could get home a little bit earlier. (laughs) But it was a little bit rainy. Plus, Taylor Swift was playing where the Cincinnati Bengals play that night. So there's 70,000 people at that show. I don't know if there were 7,000 people at the show I was at. Hmm. And he did close and he played certainly new stuff, but he also played, he reworked some old Oasis stuff or brought some stuff back that you hadn't heard in a while. And I was in the second row. I paid up to get up close to him. And the videos that we have on YouTube are the ones that have performed best this year for us on our channel. That's for sure. Him messing with the crowd. (laughs) When I'm there, because if you're going to be there shouting that fucking loud, I'm not going to bother going. <laughs> I want an answer. Are you going to be there? Then I'm not going. Is he your dad? Is he really fucking annoying on a day to day From every time he's getting on your fucking nerves, just say, Dad, your fucking weapon, shut it. Yeah, you fucking Yeah. But I would have liked to have seen the whole set, not just an hour and 10 minutes or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. It it would have been great to see his whole set. And in England, I mean, he's booking big shows, arena shows right now in England. So he's he's still a huge deal. Mm. 
And, you know, and then when it comes to the whole Oasis thing, it's like, well, they'll probably get back together one day because eventually everybody does. Right. But they can play arenas you can play solo arenas now. Yeah. He'll probably play stadiums when Oasis get back together in most of the world. Wouldn't yeah. play stadiums in America. Maybe he could go back to amphitheaters or arenas with Oasis, maybe in the U.S., hmm. but around the world, he's a much bigger deal. And I just wish I could have given our listeners and myself the opportunity to see and hear about the whole headline show. Yeah, I, I wonder. It, it will probably happen someday. I mean, it, like you said, everybody gets back together. I mean, the police got back together. Yeah. When they said that they would never happen again. I mean, the Eagles did. The also. Eagles got back together. So, yeah. yeah. Ooh, and then they famously, stayed together. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Famously hated each other for a long time. It would not surprise me. And I can't, I don't even want to know what that would look like. I mean, we're just talking about like, they would sell out like Wembley Stadium probably multiple, multiple, multiple nights. Yeah. yeah. All around Europe, all around South America, in Australia, in Japan, they'd sell out stadiums. <laughs> did you watch Ted Lasso? Oh, sure. Where, where they go to Wembley and he's like, and this is where Freddie Mercury stood right here and played Live Aid. No, that was the old Wembley. <laughs> I didn't true. know that, but okay. <laughs> Close enough. <laughs> that's true. That's, that's when I took the Wolf Cub to see the Who in Wembley with an orchestra. Mm -hmm. I'm like, this is Wembley. You know, this is where they play Live Aid. This is where Led Zeppelin used to play. This is really, they played it here. I'm like, okay, well, it was the grounds. They had to <laughs> destroy it and rebuild it. But yes, it's Wembley. Technically, yes. <laughs> I mean, that's to me, that's the same thing as Giant Stadium. I mean, right. yeah, they, not the same thing, but it's the same place. It's the same idea. You get it. Be quiet. Yes, exactly. Pipe down. Will you? Yeah. <laughs> Right. Close enough here. Well, speaking of stadium tours, mm -hmm. as some of our listeners may know, I was living in Amsterdam earlier this year. Thought I was going to live there for a couple years. It ended up being much shorter than that. But I got tickets to some pretty big shows in Amsterdam. Mm -hmm. And some I couldn't go to because we moved away. So I had to sell my Roger Waters tickets. And I had to sell my Peter Gabriel tickets. And I had to sell my Kiss tickets. But I kept the tickets to see Metallica mm -hmm. doing their, you know, no repeat weekend. Two nights at a stadium, never play the same song twice. Mm-hmm. And of course, I had to keep the Iron Maiden tickets. So because I invited you over and you're like, I already got my plane ticket, man. The whole family's coming over. So uh, so we're keeping those. I'm like, yeah, OK, no problem. But first, let's go to April to Metallica. Now, this is an 18 month world tour. They played in Europe in the spring and early summer. And then they came to America mm -hmm. uh, and did some dates. And they're going to do the same thing next year. But they basically sold out stadiums around the world for 18 months. And Amsterdam was the kickoff. No one knew what the stage was going to look like. No one knew what the set lists were going to look like. And it's cool because they have two opening acts each night different each night and their stage set is amazing so i'm like you know what i'm i'm going and i went back and i'm so glad that i did and we recorded the first night i feel like in between yeah you were still the first, there yeah yeah I, that, that was a that was a great I, that's i wish i was closer because i, I would have loved to have gone to that one with you also but yeah because we didn't have any idea that was the first two shows nobody had seen the nobody had seen the set list nobody had seen the stage what it looked like right so yeah, you got in on the ground floor, and then it was cool to talk to the the hosts of the Metallica podcast, Stefan Renee. Yeah, Stefan Renee, to kind of get their take on it too. And you know, you had that connection with like, yeah. I mean, not only did I see it, I had to see it from the beginning. That's right. That's at, at Johann Krauf Stadium. Mm -hmm. 
where AX, the big, the basically the New York Yankees of the Eurodivisie or the big Dutch football division, yeah. play. And yeah, I mean, and the first night was amazing. Although Kirk's sound was off that night, they fixed it by the second night. I was bummed that I missed Wolfgang Van Halen, mm-hmm. but it looks like I'm going to get to see him next year. So I'm psyched about that. And it was just, it was fun to see the camaraderie there, you know, mm-hmm. because you come back the second night and it's all the same people all around you, right? So I mean, you, you make friends the first night and then you come back, it's like seeing your family. Right, right. I, I don't know why you would get involved with this and not go two nights because that's that's what it's designed for. But I don't think... I don't think this has ever happened before that I can remember about it. That I understand there are there are acts that do more than one night in the same venue if you're that big, but it's never designed like that with two different set lists for for they're setting it up so you would want to go both nights. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe Fish does something like that. Who the hell likes Fish, right. dude? No, you know, I mean, the Dead might have done that a lot back in the day, but you know, people are so wasted they don't even know the difference. You know? <laughs> but to see Metallica come out with this enormous stage and and a great new record too. Well, that's the other thing. I think maybe we'd heard Lux Eterna when I bought the tickets, but we hadn't heard the record. It wasn't out yet. Mm-hmm. So we're like, well, God, what if the new record kind of sucks? You never know. You never. <laughs> know with latter day and it's the best album they've made in 30 years Mm. it's actually really damn good and the new ones fit in great with the classics you know and the yellow theme and the lights that they did with and lars had like three or four drum kits so he could be on all the different pieces of stage yellow you know with the yellow lights and the yellow towers for those songs it came off so well. And so for people who saw it this year, great. But I know a lot of people are holding tickets for next year. Hang on to those because it's a hell of a show. Yeah. Yeah. It, it looks it looks great. I know they did a simulcast too. So Dallas, I think. So people that couldn't get to them because, I mean, they they only play big places. They're not coming everywhere. And so, right. the, you know, I was looking at the dates and I'm like, wait, that doesn't – this year, I'm like, well, that, wait a minute. That doesn't make any sense. Oh, wait, that's 2024. So right. they already had this thing booked for multiple years. That's right, which is pretty impressive. I mean, unless you're Taylor Swift, who else can even do that? And I think they were neck and neck with her for a while for a number of people to cram in uh, – what was it? SoFi Stadium in – in los angeles oh yeah i mean a band who is can't wait i mean what do we do kill them all was 40 this year 40 years old yeah still selling out multiple nights in arenas all over the world with a brand new record is extremely impressive killer man absolutely killer i'm happy that y'all came here to celebrate heavy music with your friends with metallica because we are metallica and so are you now there's mm-hmm. another band that's been around more than 40 years who can sell tickets a year in advance Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one who you had never seen live before this year right but we got into them together Mm -hmm. in college so we had a personal connection between you and me for this band but as soon as tickets went on sale i may have known i was going to move i may not have known i was going to move but i did i know no you did not know okay you didn't because that was the whole thing so you bought the, you got the tickets, and I said, "Well, I, I mean, I've got to do this now because there's a little more to this story than just that." We had tickets in 2000 and what was it, 17? When, when before you moved to London? Yeah, maybe in 2019 or something like okay, that. Okay, you had okay tickets for Cincinnati. I said, "Okay, we're gonna go. Here we go. Boom, boom. We're gonna make a whole weekend out of it." Oh wait, no, I've got to move out of the country. Sorry, can't right. do it. Okay. 
So now we fast forward. We've got the tickets now, and you're like, oh, wait, I've got to move back. Uh-uh. No, <laughs> we're not doing this. We're not doing this again. We're going to make this happen. That's right. Of course, the band is Iron Maiden. Mm-hmm. one of the greatest live acts in the history of mankind and of course we had heard their single writing on the wall mm-hmm. with the coolest the coolest video i've seen in a long time at least when it first came out yeah and they have this new album sinjutsu which you kind of come around you know the pandemic ish but we're finally going to get to see them do some songs off sinjutsu but the theme of the tour was the future past tour so it was it was half the new stuff and then half from somewhere in time which is our favorite iron maiden mm-hmm. album i would say mm-hmm. which also never got we the only thing we'd ever seen from that was the two and a half three minute what was it stranger in a strange land video, video yeah from back in the day other than that there was no record easily available of that tour well, yeah, and then yeah, and then the wasted years video was them in the studio, right? So, Correct. Yeah. So we never they didn't because they had just blown out big on the live after death video. Mm-hmm. They decided not to film the next year. Right. I think Rob Rod looks at it as a, an oversight, but at the time you didn't film every single tour back then, right? I mean, that, yeah, yeah, that was there was no. It, there was no cell phone cameras. There was no anything like that. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure that was a very, a, a fairly large cash outlay. And you're right, we just did this. Yeah. Why would we do it again? Exactly. You know, maybe in a couple of years we'll do. It. And they did. They did Made in England in '88 mm-hmm. when they, you know, which is basically the Seventh Son video. Right. So I mean, okay. So there's not one of that one. So what? You know, not everybody has filmed, but now it's like every single one is filmed, right? At some point, you're gonna have a DVD of it or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we never seen it. So to be able to see this stuff live, and well, to see him in Amsterdam and Antwerp, it's like, well, do you really want to see him two nights later? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and which night was better for you? It, definitely the second night. Definitely, and and I think it was it was a couple of different things. Number one, I had never I had never seen them play live before, so it was kind of kind of like an overload there. And I mean, honestly, no offense to anybody in the the great uh, city of Amsterdam, but the crowd was a little crowd was a little reserved that night. The Ziggo Dome was it was nice, a little more it, modern. Everything was, yeah, a little more modern. We get to Antwerp. I mean, this looks like a bombed out, just a place left over from the seventies. The crowd is is definitely more electric, and that second that second show it just had more energy. The set was, I think, the set was exactly the same. Yeah, but you could you could really tell that the band got more into it too. They fit they fed off the crowd's energy. They did, and Bruce was on his game that night, and yeah, it was just a lot of fun. And then mm-hmm. when we realized we couldn't get the train home easily. We said, okay, well, let's just walk. We can walk a couple miles through Antwerp. It's not Sounds a big like a deal. Great idea. We can find places to take a clandestine piss, you know, mm-hmm. where we won't get arrested. Mm-hmm. Not worried about that. We'll just go to the hotel bar and have a couple drinks. Correct. By ourselves. By ourselves. Yeah, just quiet. You know, maybe sure. we'll see some other fans there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Didn't know half of the band would be there. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a surreal moment. A surreal moment when I'm walking through the hall trying to find a restroom, half in the bag, just not really kind of annoyed now at the whole situation because I'm in the wrong part of the hotel. And here comes Steve Harris around the. Oh my God. Yeah. What? And it was that moment of like, okay, 
you've you've always wanted this like you know you've thought about this in your mind like well what happened if this can't be real can it no he's really standing right there and you know kind of that uh we were talking to christy about finding jimmy page yeah you know where, where she had the whole moment of he's getting away you have about a half a second now you gotta to do something move. gotta do something and i just said steve and he you could tell like he kind of winced for a minute like oh how what is this gonna be not another one yeah exactly <laughs> i'm just trying to you know he was he was kind of trucking it i don't know whether he was getting something to eat picking something up but i just stuck my hand out and just said hey th- thanks so much that was a great show you guys kicked ass tonight and he just kind of, oh yeah thanks cheers mate mm-hmm. you know that like i don't want to sit here and tell you that you know i've named three of my kids after you and right. anything <laughs> like that just just quick but just to thank him and just to have that moment for a second and i thought well it can't get any better than that until it did yeah i know i know so we met this nice family who had like a teenage daughter amelia was her name and we met them like checking in or whatever and and the father was a guitar player in his own right and i think they went to that huge thing out in california that oh the power trip yeah power trip thing yeah but we came back and we bumped into them again and it was oh man that was so great that was so much fun and amelia's like bruce Bruce. I'm like, yeah, yeah, Bruce is great. Yeah. He, was, he was on tonight, honey. He's like, no, Bruce is right there at the bar, you know? And I'm like, oh my God, it is Bruce. You got to be kidding me, you know? And so he was across from us. So I sat there looking at Bruce do his thing. It must have been an hour that he sat there. Yeah. Uh, and then Adrian was sitting to our left having some wine with his family. He must have been there an hour and a half, yeah. maybe D- longer. Just, you know? just relaxing. Yeah. Just, yeah. just kind of coming down from that. I just couldn't believe there weren't more people at the bar. I mean, I guess it, as Americans, we were used to maybe staying up later, but there was nobody else there. So yeah, very surreal moment of it was the two of us, two other guys. We were kind of just reminiscing about the show. Yeah. And then Bruce and his, uh, his wife wife and then adrian and i guess members of his family or something he had kind of a he had four or five people with him and that was it yeah bar that's it plus the bartender yeah that's it right right that's it you know and i'm like god this is unbelievable so i mean look just seeing the shows because they were brilliant Mm -hmm. and we we later found out that nico had had a bit of a stroke earlier in the year and Mm -hmm. i guess when we had uncle steve on the show to talk about those he had heard reports that he that nico was not doing great and there was this one point in amsterdam i think it was it was in amsterdam where steve went back and he's basically right in front of him showing like this is the pace this is where we are right now yeah and it looked like nico was not his usual happy self like he was really struggling to he, yeah concentrating to keep up. what he was doing well yeah. now we know why good lord yeah so i mean to imagine that like a you have a health scare like that but you're you're that much of a professional that you're gonna say no i, I can do this i can be back on tour obviously a guy who who enjoys doing that also because i mean at this point in time he could just say get somebody else but he's not gonna do that yeah I know. And look, for the most part, when your drummer's age starts with a seven, you have to replace him. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, it's not whether or not he's a good guy. It's no one can physically do this for two hours anymore. Nobody can. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, even after a stroke, he's hanging in there. So God bless him. And God, I'm glad we went because, Yeah. yeah, they're touring here in America in 2024. But A, it's nowhere near us. And B, you know, the American crowd's not like the European crowd. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's why that's why part of it was like, oh man, I'm gonna go all the way over to Europe to see these shows. But yeah, the, you telling me about how you've seen them in America, and you know, it's 
it's okay. Okay. Yeah. No, I want, I wanted to see fans and yeah, the fans were out old, young, you know, you could tell there were, there were people, women, there. there's a yeah. lot of women yeah. at the European shows. Yeah. And, and families that went and yeah. it, it did not. And that was part of the thing too. Like when we went into the Ziggo dome, like, Oh, you've hyped this up for so long. Is this really going to live up to it? all my expectations? And it did. They sounded great. The, the, the set list was awesome. The new song sounded great. You know, like Metallica, here they are putting out a new record that you actually want to listen to the tracks yeah. they play, not like the oh well, time for a time for a beer because they're playing the new one that I don't care about. Right. Awesome. Yeah, the shows were were the same. The one thing that I liked about uh, Bruce's banter back and forth was mm-hmm. it, it wasn't exactly the same thing because that would have been annoying if he if he said you know like he's coming up with these stories, but th- no, because you're you know they're all pre rehearsed. It was different. He did work the crowd. You know he kind of got in, in, engaged with them. Are you from Amsterdam? Where, where, where are you from then? You're from... I'm going to be politically incorrect here. You're from Holland, aren't you? I'm supposed to call it something else, aren't they? The nether regions or something. Awesome. Awesome shows. Totally awesome. Totally amazing. Now, as far as families going to see rock and roll show together. I'm all for that. I think it's the great way to pay it forward and to keep mm-hmm. rock alive for the next generation. So for our last concert review of the year, I did take the wolf cub to see kiss mm-hmm. in Cincinnati on the end of the road tour. She had seen them on the same tour when she was four. She had seen them when she was five, but she's a little young for that. Couldn't make it through the whole show. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, she's dying now. I know she can make it. She'll have real memories from this. We were going to go see them in Indy, which was the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Mm. And then we were talking to Sonny Pooney when we were recording First Concert Memories 4 on Ace Fraley. And he's like, no, I don't see Kiss anymore. They're coming 20 minutes or 10 minutes from my house. And I go, I'm like, ooh, they're coming to Cincinnati. Let me just see, because that's an easier trip than Indy. And then if we ended up going someplace for Thanksgiving, I wouldn't be beholden to driving Mm. up to Indy uh, that night. And I'm glad we did. So we went up to Cincinnati, got great, for us, great seats, not totally priced out out of the sky, sold the Indy ones. And she did enjoy it. She had fun. She got to pick out a Kiss poster, which I'm in the middle of getting framed. By the way, framing is expensive as hell. Framing that thing costs about the same as the two tickets of the poster itself. <laughs> and I love, too, when they're like, oh, there's a 50% off coupon. Oh, okay, cool. And it's still $300. Okay. <laughs> How did this happen? It's ridiculous. But it'll be, it's a memento, a memento for her that she's going to mm. love. You know, she got to see Starchild fly out within like 30 feet of her. So she was pretty psyched about that. But she's funny because she's like, Daddy, no one in my class has even heard of Kiss. <laughs> Can you believe that? <laughs> they don't even know Kiss. They don't even know the who. I'm like, no, I know, honey. It's your job. It's your job to educate them. (laughs) Uh, And I feel like it's my job to indoctrinate her as best I can. So Mm -hmm. that's what I've been doing. And look, here's the thing. The first time I saw them on this tour, I'm like, this is tired. Paul's stage (laughs) banter is the same. (laughs) So I want to stay out. Tommy's guitar stuff is the same as Ace's was 25 mm. years ago when they got back together. You know, it's it's a little tired. But on this night, it was more of a celebration. 
It's, it's like, you know what? This is it. You don't mm-hmm. get this anymore. And the stage was amazing. The lights, yeah. the stuff they had was unbelievable. It's a spectacle that you don't see from other bands anymore. I was really happy to be there, honestly. And even when he starts going to stage banter, I'm like, okay, yeah, I know what's coming next. It's okay. It was fun. It was a celebration. If you don't have fun at a Kiss show, it's your fault. Right. Right. And and I'm sure to see it for, through her eyes too. You know, like you said, she's a little bit older now. She gets, she's had more time to absorb the music and also, you know, the intention span is a little more to think about how, yeah, th- this is how I felt as a kid experiencing this. I mean, obviously we didn't get to go see them live in the 70s or 80s right but yeah to, to see it through her eyes and 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 really kind of realize i mean you always kind of have that thought of is this really going to be the last thing or are you just telling me this to sell tickets this is it they're not doing anything ever this again yeah, yeah that's right that's right and definitely check it out shout it out loudcast review of the last two shows in madison square garden because that's mm-hmm. a, that was a great show Hey, this is Tom and Zeus from Shout It Out Loudcast. And you are listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. All right, before we let Jackson go back to being a citizen, we got to give out our top 10 shows for the year. Okay. This is for downloads overall. So this Mm. isn't quality. This isn't our favorites. This is as they rank by the number of of downloads worldwide across every platform. And obviously some of this is skewed. I mean, it's for the year, right? So if something came out in November, even if it's doing well, you know, it hasn't had the time to number up the downloads as something that maybe came out in March or or the spring or something like Mm. that. But for the year, number 10 on the list was number 132. Yes, the Tormato story by Kevin Mulrine, you know, a killer book. Mm -hmm. And Kevin has the Yes Music podcast, which he's been doing for 12 years. That came out June 8th, and thanks to our Prague fans and Kevin lending a little support there, it it cruises into the top 10. Number nine was number 128, Metallica Live in Amsterdam Night 2 review, which Mm. came out May 11th. So you know that if Night 2 did that well, you're probably going to see Night 1 somewhere higher up on the list. (laughs) Okay. And you'd be right about that assumption, (laughs) by the way. Number eight was uh, number 125, Dire Straits' 1978 debut album. Yeah, it just seemed like in March and April, May, we were on a good run there. and People Mm -hmm. were really digging what we were doing. And when we did Alchemy way back when, that was like the 12th show or something we did. Mm -hmm. It has been like our number one reviewed and almost most downloaded show. Like it's good for one or two a day all over the world. And so I think being able to to put this in there, and it was a great record. I mean, for a debut, Mm -hmm. it's killer. Yeah, That did very well for us. Number seven was number 141, the Rolling Stones Goat's Head Soup at 50 with Mark from Performance Anxiety. That was a fun conversation. And the fact of the matter is, we have eight or nine Rolling Stone shows. <laughs> so we can kind of bundle them together on social media. It's like, hey, here's our new one. And check out our catalog, if you will, mm. of shows. So that performed very well for us. August, I think that was the latest one, August 10th, to make the top 10. And it's seventh. Number six was number 124, Van Halen, OU812, hitting 35. Mm. One we actually got to record together live in, in person. So that was that was cool as well that's right we were in florida together and Mm. we got to sit right next to each other and record it and yeah it it actually it did better than dire straits did uh also from april now we're in the top five number five is show number 139 
Iron Maiden live in Amsterdam and Antwerp <laughs> with Uncle Steve from Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden Zone. Not a big surprise that this did well because, again, they didn't really play America. They did that one show mm. in, in Indio, but they didn't really play America this tour. So being able to get over there and get some perspective on what this live show, what this year's tour is all about, I think got us uh, a little boost there. That came out July 27th. Number four was First Concert Memories number one, our new spinoff sidecast monthly Mm -hmm. show about going to see bands for the first time. That was about Kiss (laughs) with Tom and Zeus from the Shout It Out Loud cast. Those guys were... If you're going to talk Kiss, there's only two people you want to Yeah, that's right. And, and we've been fortunate as far as the folks we've had on our first concert memories, as far as best in class, those guys doing Kiss, Greg Renoff doing Van Halen, Def Lep Pod doing Def Leppard, Killer. And it was always fun to talk to those guys and to get them on, talk about their first time before now we get to hear them talk about the last time they see Kiss live. Mm-hmm. That was a lot of fun. Just edging that out for now. This could change by December 31st. But just a few ticks ahead of that was number 130, our interview with Scott Holiday, Rival Sons. Okay, okay. Which came out May 25th. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, now look, yeah, I mean, if the, if the Kiss Freaks get out there and download a lot more First Concert Memories 1, <laughs> that could be number three. <laughs> but as we're recording this, Rival Sons, Scott Holiday was there, and that's awesome for a band that we didn't know that well. But they're out there touring their asses off. They're making new music, killer new music. Mm-hmm. If we could turn anybody on to that, then that's awesome. Then that's what right. the show is all about. Number two, the second top five for this band, show number 121, Iron Maiden, Peace of Mind at 40. Mm. Again, we have about eight Iron Maiden shows, so I could bundle them up when we did Peace of Mind on March 23rd and bundle them up again when we did Live in Europe July 27th. So the Iron Maiden fans came out for us this year and we appreciate it. They hit the top five twice. And then number one, as you might have guessed, released May 4th, episode number 127, Metallica Live in Amsterdam, night one. Hmm. The kickoff to the entire tour. That's right. It's just, it was before anybody in America had had the Hmm. chance to see it. They yeah. wanted to see what the set list was about. They wanted to see what it looked like, what the setup was. And I was just really glad to be there. And I kind of wish I had still lived there at the time, but being able to go back because I know my way around and I know how to take the train and take the bus. And I got a hotel that I like to stay at there and I know where to top off my cards and stuff like that. It was just, it was a fun weekend. It's tough though. Just going to Amsterdam for like 72 hours or whatever it was. <laughs> That's a quick turnaround, but I'm, I'm glad that you stuck with that because you could have gotten top dollar for those tickets, but then we would have missed out on excellent reporting. Well, exactly. You know, we'd have to wait till maybe next year to see them someplace in America. Right. So, so that's it. So that's, that's our show. All the, all the artists and legends, all the concerts reviewed our top 10 shows, heck of a year moving from Amsterdam back to America and, seeing the show grow. It's been a lot of fun, Jackson. Yeah. Yeah. Another, another, I can't believe another year has gone past. It seems like it flies by it, it, talking about the shows from the year. I'm like, well, yeah, I kind of, not that I forget about them, but they kind of, you know, it, it's nice to go back and relive what we did 
uh, looking forward to 2024 and I I can't thank people enough for checking the show out and kind of coming with us on this journey. No, it's it's so much fun to make friends and connect with people all around the world who love the music that we do, who like to see us talking about different things. Maybe they're not everybody's favorite. Maybe we go down some different rabbit holes that you're unfamiliar with. It's okay. And the, the response that we've gotten to First Concert Memories, our new sidecast that comes mm-hmm. out the first of every month or thereabouts has been overwhelming. Uh, and you saw that the, the first one made our top five. We really yeah. appreciate it. We got great. And we've got some great stuff lined up for 2024, not only for the weekly ugly American werewolf in London show, but for the first concert memories, we're going to have a lot more great conversations in 2024. Looking forward to it. Hey, this is Scott holiday from the rival sons. I'm George Capitalis. This is my good brother, Terry Reed. Right. Hi, this is Jim McCarty of the Arbors. Hi, this is Oliver Whiteman. Hi, this is Toby Ames, the director of the rock and roll documentary In the Court of the Crimson King. Hi, this is Steve Kilby from The Church, and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. What a great year here on The Wolf. What fun we had, man, going to shows in Europe together. Aries' first Iron Maiden shows ever, hanging out with the band a bit, being on the first two nights of this amazing Metallica tour in Amsterdam, where I used to live. Many days I wish I still did, but it is good to be back in America. I think next year we'll go see some more shows. Those are big stadium and arena shows, and maybe we'll mix it up, more theater shows. But the guests we had on, the artists and legends that we had on are amazing. I mean, dream come true for us to be able to talk to Jim McCarty of the Yardbirds and to talk to legends like Terry Reed and like Steve Kilby of the church. Just so awesome. And to be able to meet an up-and-coming artist like Jimmy Madden, get him to talk to us about Prague, and talk to some people who are in their prime, like Scott Holliday of The Rival Sons, and like Oliver Wakeman, people who we're going to be seeing for decades to come. And we feel very blessed and honored that you choose to spend a little time with us this year. We really can't thank you enough for listening to the show, interacting with us, letting us know who you want to hear about, the bands, the albums, the books, the concerts, whatever it is. We love being part of this rock and roll community and the community we're helping to build of the stuff that we're passionate about. So thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to all of our amazing guests. Thank you to Pantheon Pods for making us a part of the family. Thank you to our sponsor, RareVinyl.com, who's helping record collectors and music lovers everywhere build their collections and save them money through code UGLY, which will save you 10%. Thank you to Jackson. Thank you to everyone out there who loves rock and roll music. We got some great stuff on the menu in 2024. So use this time to take a little rest, maybe party a little, whatever you need to get ready for the new year. It's going to be a great one. So to all you rockers all around the world, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. 
Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.